to look at Leviticus chapter 21, verse 8. Then we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. And that'll be it for tonight. Verse 8 says something really interesting. Talking again about rules concerning the priests and their ordination and their consecration and how they're to live. Verse 8 says, You shall consecrate him, therefore, for he offers the food of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord who sanctifies you, am holy. Now I get the holiness factor, but this phrase, the food of your God, jumped out at me. And I began to think about that. Now you can read that and say, well, okay, the food, of, the food of your God, the priest offers the food of your God. Well, what is that? What, what would that be? First thought. So what? The word. What do you think he was saying to the priest? When he's saying, you offer the food of your God. So you jumped ahead of me, Harley. You got to my point before I was ready to make it. That's okay. All right. <laughs> we'll get back to the word in just a second. But to, but to the priest, the food of his God, what was that? Bread offerings. Bread, burnt offerings. Okay, both are right. Food and grain offerings, burnt offerings. It was the food of, of their God, the offerings. That which the priest gave to the Lord. So he was in the business, basically, of God's chef. <laughs> kind of. And then these sacrificial offerings, uh, holy barbecue, some might call, he is burning, he is sacrificing, he's bringing the, the bread uh, on the table of showbread. All of these things, the food of his God. But the word, the word for bread here, or the word for food, literally is bread. It's the Hebrew word, lechem, which is best spoken, again, if you have a sinus problem, lechem, L-E-C-H-E. The Hebrew word lechem. And it's interesting here because of the parallel. Flip in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'll show you this. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1 says the following. All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3. He humbled you. He let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you understand. Here it is, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The whole point... The people are being told here, the whole point of the wandering for 40 years, and we've just jumped ahead in Deuteronomy, they have now wandered for 40 years. Moses is looking back over this time, explaining it to them, and preparing them for their journey into the promised land, finally after all the wandering. But God had specific reasons why they wandered. It was so that they could live and multiply, for one thing, just growing the people of Israel. It was so they could learn to remember God was leading them. It was so he might humble them and create dependence among them and to teach them that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord you've heard that somewhere else before right from the mouth of Jesus you remember the story Matthew chapter 4 he's being tempted by Satan and Satan comes up to him and tempts him with, with hunger one of the most basic of instincts the hunger that Jesus had after 40 days of fasting and Jesus says Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. By the way, if you don't know, this one of the best ways to deal with temptation is Scripture. Every single one of Jesus' temptations he responds to with verses from the Old Testament. Old Testament Scriptures is a powerful sword to use. 
But it's interesting that he quoted this very verse, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Now, I was asked an interesting question last week. Could Jesus read and write? I've never been asked that question before in ministry. Could Jesus read and write? I'm like, um, well, and I got to thinking about that all week long. Could he read and write? Could he read and write? I mean, we have all these teachings. And then I thought, well, yeah, well, he was raised, he, he knew the Old Testament. He had to be able to read and write. You know, he had to have been taught and trained up like a good Jewish, a good Hebrew boy. Of course he had to learn to read and write. And then I got hit with the thud, the big thought. Wait a minute. Of course he could read and write. He's the Word. (laughs) That's what he is. He's the Word incarnate, the Word made flesh. He is the bread of life. John chapter 6 tells us. The Word, the bread. But here's the application for us. As priests, as priests, It's our job to offer the food of God. It's our job. We are called to offer, to give the bread of God. Romans chapter 10. Flip over there real fast. Romans chapter 10. In verse 8. Romans 10, 8. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. You just get there as quick as you can. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Paul says, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If anybody ever asked, there it is, right there. Verse 10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Now, don't be confused. The word preacher there is literally proclaimer. It's not preacher with a capital P, as in a professional who's paid to do that for you or in your place. It is a proclaimer, a herald. Not a herald, verge, a herald as in, you know, a proclaimer. Verse 15, how will they preach or proclaim unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now you might say, okay, I I see that, that whole idea of being a proclaimer, a herald, but Rick, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a gifted Bible teacher. I can barely remember from one verse to the next what's going on in the scriptures. This is not my gift. And I am here to tell you tonight, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you are gifted with God's word or not, it doesn't matter. As a priest in the royal priesthood, it is your role, it is your job to bring the bread. To bring the bread. And we've talked about this a lot recently, that when we have something we're trying to, someone we're trying to share Jesus with, we try and come up with all kinds of clever ways to do it, and all we have to do is just share the Bible. Share what you do know. Bring the bread. That's the role of the priest. You might not feel like the way you offer the bread is exciting. You might not think you can pack it full of relevant quotes or frost it with eloquent stories. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As a priest, you bring the bread. That's what the world needs. That's what the world is starving for. That's what the world is hungry for. And gang, we live in a hungry, dying, sad place. Now watch the practicality of the next few verses. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 10. 
the priest, who is the highest among his brothers, on on whose head the anointing oil has been poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes." Nor shall he approach any dead person, nor defile himself, even for his father or his mother. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. This is amazing. Because the priests themselves are told that they're not to have to do with any dead thing, anyone who has died, any dead bodies. Okay, that's understandable. Except for immediate family. So you can deal with immediate family. Not the high priest. The high priest is not allowed to have anything to do with anyone who has died, passed away. Mother, father, brother, sister, it doesn't matter. He can't have anything to do with any of them. And as a matter of fact, the rules for him are so strict that if he is working in the tabernacle or later in the temple, and word comes back down the pike that his wife has passed away, Here is God's prescription for the high priest. He shall not uncover his head or tear his clothes. Number one, which was a way of showing mourning for a Jewish person. You may recall that that, uh, Jacob, back when he found out Joseph, his youngest son at the time, had been so-called killed by his other brothers. Well, killed by a wolf. They lied. He wasn't killed or anything. But when Jacob thought his son was dead, what did he do? He tore his clothes and he put ashes on his head. It was a way of mourning. Job did the same thing when his family was wiped out. All of his kids, not including his wife. Although if you read the book of Job, it probably would have been a good idea if his wife had been wiped out because she was no help to him whatsoever. But Job sat there in sackcloth, ripped clothes and ashes, and this was a way of mourning. And God said, the high priest, it doesn't matter who it is who passes away is close to him, the high priest shall not uncover his head or tear his clothes. Seems a little strict. Well, secondly, he shall not even approach a dead body, which means he couldn't go to the viewing. It means he couldn't be in the presence of the body, even of a loved one. And number three, this is really strict, he shall not leave the sanctuary. What? If he's at work in the sanctuary and somebody close to him passes away, someone in immediate family, wife, mother, father, he can't leave. He has to stay where he is and continue to do his work. Seems really strict. And you've seen it before. In fact, the first high priest to deal with this was the first high priest. Remember Aaron? Remember the story? Leviticus chapter 10, just a few chapters back, ordination day, and Nadab and Abihu sinned. They offered up that strange fire, and they immediately were fired themselves from their job. By the Lord, fire came out of the tabernacle and burned them alive. And in that moment, well, I'll read it to you, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, Moses said to Aaron and to his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, the two sons who were still alive, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes so that you will not die and that he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, they shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting or you will die. Why? For the Lord's anointing is upon you. So they did according to the word of Moses. Now we talked about this story. Aaron's grief was real. It was deep. His sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, were wiped out by this. They couldn't believe what had happened. They all were in incredible internal pain, but they couldn't show it. Not like a good Hebrew. 
They couldn't rend their clothes. They couldn't put the ashes on their head. They couldn't be weeping and, and wailing and moaning. They couldn't even leave the tabernacle. They had to stay in the sanctuary while the rest of Israel dealt with the problem. They were so upset, by the way, you may recall in chapter 10, they inadvertently burned up an offering that they were supposed to eat. And at that time we said, well, who could eat on a day like that? They were too upset. Aaron explains this to Moses, and Moses says, okay, that's, that's all right. Interesting that Leviticus 21, 10 through 12, prescribed the same thing for every high priest in the case of tragedy and death. But in this regulation, and watch this, in this regulation, there is a wonderful prescription for navigating pain and tragedy and sorrow and heartache in our world. The oil of anointing. The oil of anointing is upon him. And so when the anointing oil is upon him, he shall not uncover his head or tear his clothes, nor approach a dead person. He shall not even go out of the sanctuary. When the anointing oil is upon him. The anointing oil in the Bible, remember, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The anointing we receive of the Holy Spirit. So there's application here, royal priests. If you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, if you are in Christ, three things that Jesus does that the Bible gives us for comfort, for how a Christian can deal with being comforted. Flip in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. That's the last place we'll go. Isaiah chapter 6. Watch this. Beginning in verse 1. Isaiah... Wait, that's not right. Isaiah 61, I think it is, it says. Go to Isaiah 61. I'm going to wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Isaiah 61. Beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me. Okay, this is actually prophetic. Speaking of Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He's anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And right there is where Jesus quoted and then stopped when he first pronounced that his ministry was beginning. He didn't read the rest of it because it wasn't happening yet. We'll read the rest of it. And to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus calls, in John 14, 16, he calls the Holy Spirit, that which we receive, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he calls the Comforter. The Comforter. That the Holy Spirit on the anointed brings comfort. And the Lord gives three prescriptions, again comparing this, three prescriptions to the anointed priest. Number one, don't cover your head. Don't cover your head. That's mourning the way the world mourns. Don't do it. He says instead, in Isaiah 61, I'll give you the oil of gladness. I'll give you the oil of gladness. Secondly, he says to the priest, don't tear your clothes. Don't show despair like those who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or literally have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. What does Jesus say in Isaiah 60, 61? 
verse 3 he says I'll give you the oil of gladness instead of mourning I'll give you the mantle of praise don't rip your clothes don't tear your clothes in mourning and in sorrow I'm going to give you the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting before I say the third thing there's a memorial service some of you know on Saturday for Barry Butler I'm actually looking forward to it. Now that may sound odd by the world's reckoning. But the reality is Barry is with Jesus. Barry is where I want to be. He's where we want to go. And yet it's amazing how often Christians will mourn like the rest of the world who have no hope. And, and the Lord's saying, we got hope. We got a place we're going. What are we crying about? Now, now listen to me. Because I don't want to overshadow the sorrow we feel when we lose a loved one. That sorrow is our loss, and especially someone who is close and precious to you, absolutely that's difficult to know you're going to be without them for a time, but it's only for a time. It's only for a time. And you will be with them, and you will see them, and you will walk with them yet again. We don't mourn the way the world mourns, where they have no hope. Don't cover your head and mourn like that. Don't tear your clothes, despairing like the world who has no hope. I'll cover you with a mantle of praise. I'll give you the oil of gladness, those who are anointed by the Spirit. And then number three, and this is very interesting to me, he says, don't leave the sanctuary. Don't leave the sanctuary, high priest. You have the oil of anointing on you. Do not leave the sanctuary. What do you mean? Jesus would put it this way. He would say, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at this. Luke 6.38, he said, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. What does that mean? Stay in the sanctuary. In other words, stay in the place of prayer. Stay in the place of praise and stay in the place where ministry happens. What are you saying, Rick? That, that if I happen to deal with tragedy, I've got to function like a robot? i got to just go, keep doing ministry? That sounds like what a lot of pastors would say. Stay involved, stay connected, keep doing ministry. But that's exactly right. How do I deal with sorrow, with tragedy in my life? Stay in the sanctuary. Stay connected. Stay in that place of prayer. Gang, we have an anointing. We are not like the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we're of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Stay in the sanctuary. Rather than sinking into sorrow, the Lord says, Stay in the service. Now, compare and contrast that to what the world says. The world says you've got to go through the seven levels of grief. You've got certain levels of grieving and you need to process your way through all of that. Really? Well, God says, I have a better prescription for you, if you'd like it. And that prescription is, stay in the sanctuary. Stay in the prayer. Stay in the praise. Stay in the ministry. Let me give you ten principles here to overcoming depression. And I didn't make this up, I actually ripped it off, but it's really good. Ten principles to overcoming depression. Are you ready? Number one, do something for someone else. Number two, repeat that. Number three, do it again. Number four, continue that until you get to ten. There's your ten ways to deal with depression. Do something for someone else. This is a principle that is lost in our world, gang. When we get upset, when we get depressed, when we're hurt, when we're sorrowful, guess where our eyes go? 
right here. We internalize. We draw in. And again, the, what would the world say? Well, that's right. You need to draw in. You need time away. You need to really feel and work through the pain. And God would go, well, you can do that. You can sink into a depression or, or you can get your eyes off yourself and begin to serve and something wonderful happens. Remember, the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit is upon you. You have the Spirit of God with you. The Comforter is present. You might say, okay, well Rick, I think you're drawing too much out of an Old Testament regulation for a high priest. I don't think that really applies to us, okay? So let's go to our great high priest. Let's go to Jesus and ask the question that's asked so often, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle tragedy? As a matter of fact, how did Jesus handle the worst tragedy, the greatest pain, the deepest sorrow of his life? How did Jesus handle hanging on the cross? Think about that. Did Jesus weep and whine and focus inward? I read that Jesus pastored the thief on the cross. While he's hanging there, one man is hurling insults, another one is pleading for his life, and Jesus pastors this man. I'm sorry, but if I was on the cross, I could give a rip about the guys beside me. It's my deal. This is my death. And I want the focus on me. That's where my heart is going to be. Jesus is pastoring this thief and promising him paradise. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks down and he sees Mary, his earthly mother. He sees John, his disciple, and he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He takes care of mom. He's in the middle of dying here, gang, with the weight of the world, the sin of everyone on his shoulders, and he's concerned about mom and his best friend. And so he says, you two, take care of each other. You two, love each other. John, will you look out for my mom? And then most amazingly, Jesus on the cross, not only did he pastor the thief or provide for the needs of his family, but he prays for the people. Father, forgive them. Jesus, in his greatest sorrow, his eyes were on everybody else but himself. The prescription for dealing with sorrow, gang, a godly prescription, the biblical one, is to take our eyes off ourselves and turn them one of two places. Turn them to the Lord or turn them to the needs of other people. Love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And love those around you who are so desperately in need of love. And you will be amazed at how depression and sorrow tends to lift and perspective returns to your life. Now one last thing. The high priest. The high priest was commanded by God not to tear his garments. Right? Leviticus 21. We're very clear on that. Don't tear your garments. This is a prescription. You are not allowed to show that kind of mourning. You're not allowed to get that upset. Matthew chapter 26 tells us that before the Sanhedrin, Jesus, who was being accused of everything, kept silent. He didn't say a word. He didn't speak. And the high priest said to him, and I quote, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Verse 65, watch this, Matthew 26, verse 65, Then the high priest tore his robes. And in that moment, Caiaphas, the high priest, disqualified himself from the priesthood. Isn't that incredible? 
He's out. He's done. He is no longer, at least as far as the Lord would be concerned, based on Levitical law, Caiaphas is no longer allowed to be high priest because he violated law by tearing his clothes when he was upset about Jesus' response. What's amazing is though Caiaphas broke the law, was disqualified, and spiritually you could say he's out of the picture, almost immediately another high priest took over. Listen to this. Matthew 27 verse 35 says, When they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. Jesus, our great high priest, his garments were never torn. Even in his greatest sorrow, Jesus never rended his garments. They were never torn. They cast his lots over his garments because they wanted to keep them together. Amazing. The Roman soldiers who were casting lots were actually holding up, bearing up a principle of the high priest not to rip his own clothes. Jesus didn't tear his clothes. Caiaphas did. Caiaphas is out. Jesus is in. The great high priest. The great high priest in the moment of his sorrows shows us a priestly prescription for pain. There was one other thing. One other thing that got torn that day and you know what I'm talking about the temple veil the veil was torn and I'll tell you this last thing when you fix your eyes on Jesus you fix your eyes on other people you get your eyes off of yourself if you're dealing with sorrow or tragedy or pain the other thing is know this God did rip the temple veil as a way of saying anytime you need to talk I'm here anytime you need my support I am with you. Anytime life gets bad, anytime you're in the deepest, darkest pit and you don't know the way out, the veil is no longer there. Come to me. Let's talk about it. And I will give you the comfort you need. Let's pray. Father, honestly, this is one of those nuggets of truth that I don't know why you wanted us to hear. But I thank you for it. I pray, Father, for some that this will be preventative. That as as sorrow in life happens, and it does, that we would not mourn like the rest of the world who have no hope. That we would stay engaged, Lord, loving people around us, loving you, eyes off ourselves. That we have such a hope and such a future and such a promise that we need not behave and act and live as the world does but Father I pray for others maybe this isn't preventative maybe this is right where they are and I pray for comfort Lord for a garland instead of ashes Father for the oil of gladness instead of mourning the mantle of praise as we pray as we lean into you I ask Lord that you'll put that mantle on our shoulders as you will anoint us again with the oil of gladness And you will remind us, Lord, that we are children of the King. God bless this time. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here. And pray that you will touch our hearts and move among us in Jesus' name. Amen.